name is still Dave, seven years later. And I just got to say, I got to say a couple things here. First of all, happy anniversary. Happy birthday, Sedaris. I got this fantastic cup last night at the party. If you can't read it, it says, be careful or you will end up in my sermon. So I'm just going to. So to uh, make true on that promise, I just have to call out. We had more people at the party last night than there are worshiping Jesus this morning. So <laughs> be careful, you'll end up in my sermon. Okay. No, we had such a fun time last night and uh, it was great. Great to just celebrate everything that God's done. I mean, the number seven is a big number, right? This is God's number. If you understand the scriptures, this, this is his favorite number. This is his playing number. And so it feels very significant to be celebrating seven years of considering Jesus in the city, worshiping Jesus in the city. Um, as I said in my email, seven years in the books, which you don't understand my humor yet, is a double entendre. So um, think about that for a sec. Seven years in the books. Seven years in the books. In these first seven years, we've studied 1 John, Hebrews, Ephesians, the Psalms, the Gospel of Mark, the Acts of the Apostles, 12, the 12 minor prophets, Colossians, Peter, Exodus. And you count all those up. This is kind of crazy. If you count all those up, Guess how many books that is? 22. 22 books. Why is that significant? 22 books. Times that by three. How many books is that? 66 books. How many books are in this Bible? 66. This means, my friends, that we are one-third of the way through my ministry. <laughs> okay, so just give you, put yourself on the timeline, all right? So... We're a third of the way, and this is Super Bowl Sunday, so I get that. So I see you online. I, uh, that's all right, getting ready for your Super Bowl party. That's okay, so I've been thinking about football a little bit. Tom Brady, the great Tom Brady, just retired after 22 seasons in the NFL. 22 seasons. And, you know, most everybody agrees, the greatest career ever. Now, think about this. If we are, or you could say, I am one-third of my way through my playing career because we've done 22 of the 66 books, then I've got two more seven-year stints to go, which would get me to 21 years. 21 years. Tom Brady, 22 years. that get me to 21. And I just got to give a shout-out to my wife. My wife reminds me that we had a full, full, full year before we gave birth to Sedaris Church. She always reminds me of that, like, it's been eight, Dave. <laughs> we've, been, we've been long-suffering for eight. So that'd be 22 years. So I'm just saying... I'm just saying, happy Super Bowl Sunday. A third of the way through the Bible. Now, that does not mean that we might not circle around and preach a couple books a few times. I probably won't retire. I won't have enough money to do that. So we'll just, I'll probably get a second job. But keep preaching, keep preaching. From this book, seven years is in the books. Seven years in the books. Why? Why this book? Because, my friends, I am not a motivational speaker, but this is a motivational text. So if we stay true to teaching this text, the very word of God, breathed out by God, 
so that we might find life and truth and salvation and beauty, then you know what? We'll have all the motivation we need to keep going for another seven and then another seven and then another seven, on and on, until either Christ comes home or brings us to be with him. So, seven years in the books, and I can confirm to you that this motivational text changes everything. It's changed me. I hope for for many of you, the longer you've been here studying this word with us, it's changed you. And I I would just implore you to speak of the goodness of God and the ways he's changed you over the years as we have turned to the books, the 66 books of this Bible. So, it's all true. It's all good. It leads the way. So let's do what we've done for the last seven years. Let's get in the text. So if you've got a Bible, would you grab it with me and turn to 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is going to be on page 1011 if you grab the Bibles that are in the seat back in front of you. Um, page 1011. Uh, we're going to look at how this text is going to help us move in step with the peculiar wisdom of Christ. That's what we're naming this series in 1 Corinthians and we'll be in this series for a while. So if you haven't listened to the, the sermons up to this point, just remember that 1 Corinthians is a letter that was meant to be read in its entirety. So it's sort of Paul's moving from point to point. He's building an argument for how they might change the way that they move so that it might match up to the peculiar wisdom of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so um, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the first five sermons in this series if you're new with us. Um, catch up because you'll see how this argument is progressing. And, and, and for those of you, uh, you're going to love this. It took us five weeks to get through chapter one, and we're going to knock out chapter two in one fell swoop. Are, are we excited about that? Can people get, God's people said amen? amen? Amen. Okay, we're going to move right through chapter two, all of it today. So let's pray and ask God to help us do that. Heavenly Father, we reach out our hands to you and we say, fill us up. Come, Holy Spirit, fill this room, fill this place, make your presence known, fill our hearts with your love, fill our minds with your truth. Truly, God, please, please, today, give us the mind of Christ that we might begin to grow closer to you so that we might dance in step with you, both today, tomorrow, next month, through this year, and hopefully, God, should the Lord tarry another seven, and a seven after that. We, we want to give you all the praise, the high praise, God, for what you've done in starting this church, bringing it to be, bringing along faithful co-laborers to keep it going, that the living water of your word might be available to this city in this place year after year, God. And it won't go forth unless you're here with us. Be with us, God. And if you, if you are not, God, tear this place down. Brick by brick. It's your word that sustains us, God. It's your spirit that gives us power. It is not us, but it is you, God. We boast in our weakness. We boast in the Lord. Thank you for what you've done at Sedaris Church. Thank you for the lives you've changed. Thank you for the minds that you are repairing through the gospel. Give us new hearts, fresh wind, great energy to take your mission forward over the next seven years. We pray this 
proudly and boldly in the name of our Savior, our Lord, who died for our sin and rose to new life and gives it to us now through the Spirit. It's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. (laughs) You guys are going to love going through a whole chapter in a day. This is going to be great. So here we go. Have you ever tried... I'm sure you have. I know you have. It's a bit of a rhetorical question. To explain something to someone, and you think you're doing such a great job, and you're like, yes, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm saying something true and good. And then you look into their eyes, and, and it's just nothing. <laughs> I mean, you're, the look is just, this is not landing. It's not hitting home. It's way over their head. Have you had that experience? It's just frustrating, isn't it? It's so frustrating. It, what, I, what don't you get about this? So you get that deer in the headlights look, or uh, one of the things I love, people give you the big smile. But behind the smile is terror. He's not making sense. But let's just keep smiling. <laughs> okay. Or, or maybe um, they'll ask really like strange, off-topic, unrelated questions, and you're like, clearly they don't understand what you're saying. And then my favorite is those people that just say, oh, isn't that sweet? (laughs) Isn't that nice what you're doing? Oh, yeah. So Paul's going to try to explain to us today why that happens. And in particular, why that's been happening a lot for the Corinthians. This church that he started in uh, ancient Greece, in the the city of Corinth, you know, more of a town in our uh, understanding of a city, um, but they were coming up all against all sorts of other stuff, and, and they weren't making sense to people, and they were getting that look, and it was tough for them. Why, why aren't these people understanding like I understand? And so Paul's going to tell them, actually, what's happening at a deeper, hidden, uh, mysterious level, a supernatural level, so that they understand why they're getting all this deer in the headlights, why people are saying, isn't this nice, this is nice. So, because it's the anniversary, I'll just, I'll just share a little example of <laughs> a time in my life. It still happens, but it really happened a lot, you know, eight years ago when we were going around trying to tell people what we were going to do. You know, at this point, we, it was me and Allie, and that's about it. And we'd go around, and we'd try to tell people, we're going to start a church. And they'd say, oh, great, great. Okay, where are you going to do that? I'd be like, we're going to do it in the heart of Seattle. sounds good <laughs> and and we get a lot and we get a lot of deer in the headlights and we get a lot of big smiles and we get a and and you could like they're smiling but you could see through their eyes and there was a terror and a disappointment and they're like he had so much potential he was such a good boy <laughs> you know like what is what is he doing <laughs> but the big smiles you know and um then we get lots of fun questions you know like we're telling them we're going to start a church. We're going to help people consider Jesus, and and we believe God's going to do something in Seattle. And, and people, and then the questions they'd ask wouldn't quite line up. They'd they'd ask things like, you know, but aren't there enough churches already? And then they'd say, you know, is that even legal? I don't want you to go to jail over this. 
you know, people that didn't know, like, you starting a church, that doesn't seem right. That, that feels illegal. <laughs> Don't do that. And then, you know, some people would ask me, like, so you're becoming a monk? And I'm like, no, not exactly. Not exactly. Um, and then, of course, you got a lot of the, isn't that nice? That's nice. We'll be thinking of you. <laughs> you know, like, what are you doing? So we got a lot of this, and it was, you know, it was hard at times for people to be so disconnected from what we clearly believe to be the call of God, the wisdom of God, giving us the tools, the talents, the resources, the energy, the motivation to go do this thing that we believed he was asking us to do. But it was hard to have so many blank stares. Now, a few got it. Where's Kurt and Augusta? Kurt, raise your hand. Kurt and Augusta out in the forest. Okay. Kurt and Augusta, they got it. Their eyes lit up. They were part of the five people that started the Bible study in our living room. They got it. But guess why there were only five? <laughs> there was just them and one other person who I'm pretty sure I used 30 years of friendship as leverage <laughs> to say, you got to come to this Bible study. We can't have four. Five sounds better. But then over time, things changed. What was going on? Behind the scenes, what was actually going on? Why was there a disconnect? So Paul's going to help explain that. What's with the disconnect? So you guys ready? Here we go. Let's read the whole passage, the whole chapter, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. Here goes. So Paul has just explained about this unusual wisdom. And then he goes on. He says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. And he goes on. We do, however, speak a wisdom. A wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's Jesus. But as it is written, and now he's quoting the Old Testament, he's saying, God's always said this. <laughs> what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, or no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things. For those who love him. Now, God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God so that we may understand what has been freely given to us 
by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit, because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it, since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind, that he may instruct him? That's again a quote from the Old Testament. For hundreds of years, the people of God have been saying, Who can know the Lord's mind, that he may instruct him? And then Paul says, But we. He's saying, We do. Because we have the mind of Christ. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Incredible. Incredible. So what is Paul saying here? Back to verse 1. What is he saying? He's saying, when I came to you, I didn't have a lot. What didn't he have? He didn't have brilliance of speech or... Wisdom, and here he's talking about worldly wisdom, because it's clear he thinks he has some wisdom. It's wisdom from the Lord. But he doesn't have worldly wisdom. He doesn't have worldly credentials in a city like Corinth, an intellectual capital of the Roman Empire. He didn't have that kind of credential. He doesn't have brilliant oratory skill. We've talked about this the last couple weeks. But what does he have? He has a message. He has a message about Christ and Christ crucified. He has the gospel message. This is a shorthand way of saying he has the message of the gospel, which is that God so loved the world, that he sent God the Son to take on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, that he lived the perfect life, died on the cross for your sin, absorbing the wrath of God, clearing the slate for you, that you might have new relationship with God, and it was proved through the resurrection, and we all might have that resurrection if we were in Christ. So he shorthand says, I came with that message. And he came in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Friends, I went back and I listened to the very first sermon I preached on launch Sunday. <laughs> and it is clear. I did not have eloquent speech. <laughs> okay, I did not have much wisdom. I came in weakness. Check. Had that down. I came in fear. Check. Had that down. And I came with much trembling. Check. And I came with the message of Christ crucified. And so I had power <laughs> because I had God's wisdom. This is what Paul's saying. This is what I'm saying. When you come not with your own strength, but a recognition that you have no strength that the world needs, then there's a chance for what? What is that chance for? Verse 4. He came, he says, not great speech. His preaching was subpar. He didn't have persuasive words of wisdom, but he came with a demonstration of the Spirit's, what? Power. When you come in weakness, when you come in fear, even with much trembling, but you still come, you still show up, you still bring up the big topic, you still ask, how are you? Are you right with the Lord? Do you know what your eternal destiny, even in fear and trembling, but you come and you show up, you demonstrate something that the world's never seen. It's the power of the Spirit in you. That's what Paul's saying. 
I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. You know, starting, sustaining a new church in a city like Seattle, it's got some unique challenges. But I'll tell you what, it also made this church pregnant with the power of God. Because no one's going to look and say, that thing went because of any one of you (laughs) or me. It's old CPA coming in here trying to start a church. What's he doing? It was clear that if this thing was going to go, it was going to be a demonstration of the power of God. That's part of why we planted a church where we did, how we did, because we wanted to say, nobody's going to look back on the history of this church and say, well, I could kind of understand how it went because of this and that and the other thing. And, you know, everybody's looking for a church in Seattle, so it's like supply and demand. And, uh, you know, we need that kind of, no, everybody's going to look at this and be like, how did that happen? <laughs> you know? I just, lo- I just love that. We said yes. We showed up. We said yes again. We kept showing up. We said yes again. We kept showing up. We didn't have much except a lot of weakness. And God showed his power through us. And he's been showing his power for seven years. Now the world looks at this. And it makes sense that they're like, what? what? Wait, wait. That church, that little church, they're still around? Seven years? Wait, 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 wait. The pandemic didn't kill that church? It grew in the pandemic? What? What's going on? Well, um, Hank, you know, how'd that happen? Well, you know, Frank, um, you see, I think what had happened was that, you know, a lot of people really love super long Bible-based teaching on the internet. So when Sedaris went to the internet, a bunch of Seattleites started watching. And so then when they started meeting again, you know, there was just tons of people ready to go. <laughs> Sorry. My grandparents are from Minnesota, so I tend to have a very accessible accent. No. It makes no sense. <laughs> okay. So like if you were with us through the pandemic, when things got shut down and we had to go online, guess what we didn't do? Make a fun little tickly video that made you laugh and smile and happy. You know what we did? We preached the word of God for 50 hours online as you guys sat and watched, and you're like, why aren't they adjusting to the times? (laughs) And we're like, the times are never right for this unless the spirit of God is at work. That's what we said. So we said, let's just do what we always do. This book is the word of God inspired by the spirit of God and when you preach it and proclaim it it changes people and things so why would we in the most important time of needing motivation and the power of God stop doing the very thing that gives us access to that and so that's what we did and the world looks at that and says that worked yes (laughs) it worked why because it's not our power it's God's power And we just got to get out of the way. And we can get out of the way online, and we can get out of the way in person. We just got to get out of the way and let him do his work. This this text is motivational. Not me. So important to remember that. And then the world looks. And and I'll explain in a minute. They're not going to understand why. And that's okay. But I want you to understand why. So that you don't go away from this. This This is your power. This is your life. God is your power and God is your life. 
So I'm thankful. God said, it's not enough to show my power just through starting a new church in Seattle, through the CPA, turned pastor, he's never worked for a church, doesn't know what he's doing, had five people in his living room. It's not enough for me. God says, I want to show off a little bit, and we'll just run a pandemic through the thing, and we'll grow it, and you'll have the best giving years you've ever had during a pandemic. That's what I'm going to do, so that everybody knows that it's me, not Dave, not Allie, not Ryan, not Christy, not the senior leadership team, not the launch team, nobody. They know it's God. To make that very clear, that's why we're singing twice, high praise. When we celebrate birthdays at Stairs, we praise the Lord and no one else. Okay. So now it's clear, Paul is not the one to praise, but the Lord and his power. So look at verse 6. He says, now, I've just told you you have no wisdom. And then he goes, but we do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before when? Before the ages. For what? For our glory. Hmm. Okay, so Paul then, you know, he's just spent, we've spent the last two weeks telling you you're not very impressive. Own it. (laughs) Love it. But then Paul comes on and says, but to be clear, you do have a wisdom. You got something special, folks. You do have a wisdom, and you must cultivate this wisdom. And, and, and this wisdom must take hold of your bones so that it might move you in the peculiar wisdom of Christ. For what? For the good of the world and for your glory. You will be changed if you cultivate this wisdom. But, Paul's very clear. What kind of wisdom is this? It is not man-made wisdom. It is not church-made wisdom. It is not philosopher-made wisdom. What kind of wisdom is it? It's God-made. This is God-made wisdom. A wisdom that God predestined before the ages. What's before the ages? Before it all. Before he even created, this was his wisdom. That he would send the Son to save the world that through the Son we might have new, better relationship with, with God, a real relationship chosen and not um, programmed, real and not surface level. It's going to come through death and through sin and through sacrifice, but it's going to be real and it's going to last forever. That was his wisdom. Before y'all were born, before the world was born, which is to say what? This is not a new wisdom. This wisdom is very old. Very old. So do not despise what is old in favor of what is young. God's wisdom is as old as it gets. And Paul says, that's the wisdom you have. Let's read verse 8. Now, none of the rulers of this age knew this old wisdom God's wisdom. They didn't know it. Because if they had known it, what? They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
such, such an obvious point, but it's so profound. If the world and the smartest people in the world and the smartest Jews of the day and the smartest Roman people, if they knew the wisdom, they definitely would not have hung Jesus Christ from a cross and killed him. This is going to become very important. In a minute, you'll see why. Paul is actually here making a, a bit of an apology for these people that crucified our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying, guys, they didn't know what they were doing. Guess who else said that? Jesus on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus understood they don't have the spirit. They don't have the mind of God. They don't know what they're doing. Friends, people that are not yet Christians do not know what they're saying when they take Jesus' name in vain and uses it a swear word. They don't know what they're saying when they say, I, I think I'm pretty good, I can save myself. They don't know. Just like the rulers in Jesus' day, they did not know what they were doing. See how that changes your heart towards those who do not yet know? Maybe you're in the room and you do not yet know who Jesus is. I, I want you to hear today, we'd love to help you consider that. You can't know without the Spirit. No one's here to condemn you. We're here to help. Help you consider this Jesus. I'm so glad that you're here. So how do you get access then to this very old wisdom? Like, how do you tap into it? How do you know who Jesus is? How do you know what you should do once you know who Jesus is? Let's see what Paul says here, verse 10. Now God has revealed these things to us. What things? The things that no eye had seen and no ear had heard and no human heart had conceived prior to the coming of Jesus. God's revealed them to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So God is one, and he is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's this mystery, but there's the threeness in the oneness of God. But they're distinct persons of the Trinity. And it says the Spirit of God searches the mind of God. You could, you could insert here the mind of the Father. The Father being the one who plans and prepares and is wisdom. The Spirit of God searches Look what he says, verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except his spirit within him? He's saying, just like we have a spirit who's distinct from our mind, and our spirit searches our mind and filters our minds, because and, 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 not every thought we have is great, but we, we get that. So in the same way, he's saying, God's spirit, the spirit of the Father, searches the mind of the Father. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Okay, is that making sense? Verse 12. Then he says this. Now, we have not received, he's talking about us now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but, okay, we don't have that, but what do we have? We have the spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, who comes from God. Here's that so that again, which will be so important in just a moment. So that we may understand 
what has been freely given to us by God. Um, by God. Verse 13. We also then speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. So without the Spirit, it, it's foolish. Okay? It, it feels foolish. He is not able, not because he is weak or not, not smart or, 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 or anything. It's that he's actually not able. That's so important. Underline that in your Bible. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually or by the Holy Spirit. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything. So the spiritual person can evaluate both the mystery and things of God and the things of the world. But yet, he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. So when the world says, oh, you're foolish, Paul's saying, but that evaluation that they give you, just know that's not legit because we know that the only person that can judge us is God. For who has known the mind, the Lord's mind, that he may instruct the Lord? And he says, but we have the mind of Christ. I mean, (laughs) this is just, this is so beautiful. So is it making sense? So here's, think of God, God, you know, think of God, it's hard to think of God. (laughs) Try, in the spirit, think of God, and the mind of God, the mind of the Father. And it says, the spirit comes and searches the depths of the mind of God, which is also what? The mind of Christ, because Father, Son, and Spirit are one. Searches the mind of God, the mind of Christ, and then actually delivers to those who have the spirit, through the heart, this wisdom. The thoughts of God come as a direct link. I mean, this would have been hard, harder to understand for ancients or even people that lived 50 years ago didn't have cell phones. But it, we're getting the information from God through the Spirit, and we now, from the, heart, from, the, from the heart up to the head, we get thoughts from God. And we understand things that we would never understand without that. Through the Spirit. The Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of Christ. Christ, when he ascended after his death, resurrection, he ascended into heaven. He says, I'm sending the Spirit, the Helper, to guide you. And what? Now Paul says, to give you the very thoughts of God. Wisdom from God. If you have my Spirit, now you have access to God's thoughts. So jump forward here to chapter 3, verse 16, and and Paul's going to get into this, so we'll talk about this more then. But in verse uh, 16, chapter 3, he says this, Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? So now this Spirit that searches the depths of God and God's mind now lives in every believer. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is the same thing that Jesus said to Nicodemus In John chapter 3, do you remember when we studied this? Throw it up here. This is what Jesus said to the Pharisee, the teacher of the law, somebody who would have been considered totally wise by the religious and and powerful of his day. Jesus said this to Nicodemus. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit 
is spirit. So Paul's right in line here with Jesus saying like, listen, in order to enter the kingdom of God, which is the presence of God, which is to know the mind of God, to know the ways of God, to move in step with God, is the necessity of the spirit. You have to be born again by the spirit. You have to ask God to send you a spirit that you might be made new, that you might have the mind of God. So, how do you have access to this very old wisdom? Through the Spirit of God. So when you invite him into to your life, say, Spirit, I want you to live in me, change me, I surrender, you now have access to the thoughts, the plans, the wisdom of God. This should blow your mind. You, you, you should fall over right now to know this is true. Now, You might be asking, I don't always feel like I have the mind of God. Exactly, you don't. Because sin still separates and dwells and fogs it up like the fog this morning if you got up early enough. You can't quite see clearly. And of course God's not giving you unfiltered access to his mind. He, He reveals what he wants to reveal to you through the Spirit. So you are not God. You are dependent on him, but you can know the mind of God, the mind of Christ. Just like what? Just like Jesus, the God-man, had access to the Father's mind, the Father's guidance, the Father's directions, the Father's knowledge, because his faith was perfect and he was without sin. So Jesus had perfect access to the mind of the Father, but the Father didn't reveal everything to him, just what he needed to continue and, and, and fulfill his mission in the world. But everything he needed, all the wisdom Jesus needed to move in step, with the peculiar wisdom of the Father. And so too, when we connect to Jesus and follow Jesus, we are like Jesus, and we too have everything we need to accomplish the mission that God has given us. You can say it like this. You now have the mind of Christ. I do this little thing in premarital counseling where I say, in Ephesians 5 it says that the husband um, is the head of the wife and, and, and should know what the wife needs, what her body needs before she does, or as well as she knows. So like, when you're hungry, you don't need to tell yourself, hey, I'm hungry. You just know it. So I always say, it's like, it's like this Frankenstein. It's like if you pop off one, you know, your wife's head, or, or your head, whoop, and put it on your wife's body. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Paul's saying in Ephesians chapter 5. You should know your wife so well. Anyhow, do premarital with me, that'll make more sense. But the point is this. The Frankenstein analogy works here. You, are to have, you can have the mind of Christ. You can pop off Christ's head, this sounds so weird, and put it on your body, meaning you will now move in step with the mind of Christ. This is an incredibly good news, but it comes through the Spirit. That's what connects our body to Christ's brain, so to speak. Unbelievable truth that Paul's revealing to us. These are things we would not know if God didn't reveal them to us through his word, right? You wouldn't just, like, figure that out. So why does he tell us this? Why does Paul feel the need to continue to elaborate on this peculiar kind of wisdom that Christians have? Why is he telling the Corinthians about this supernatural reality behind the two types of wisdom? Why not just, like, let them, like we said two weeks ago, embrace embarrassment for God's glory? Or why doesn't he just do like Ryan talked about last week? Um, let them boast in the Lord through their weakness. Why does he need to elaborate more and tell them about this supernatural thing that's happening with the Spirit? I think there's three things. Number one, look at the so that in verse 12. 
Look at the so that in verse 12. What's it say? It says, Now we have not received the spirit of this world, but the spirit of the, of, of the spirit who comes from God, so that, it's always so important when you see the so that, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God, and so that we also speak these things. So, the so that is that we might understand the wisdom of why God asks us to do what he asks us to do, and so that we might speak that wisdom in the world. But who do we speak it to? This is so important. Look, look down with me, verse 13, keep going. Who do we speak these things to? Well, we don't do it in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. The Spirit will give us the words, even as he's given us understanding. He says this, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But then he just says, not everybody's a spiritual person. So who are we? So we're supposed to understand these spiritual things and speak these spiritual things, but to who? To spiritual people. Who are we, so, you see what I'm saying? He's saying the, wis, the peculiar wisdom, I'm going to give you understanding so that you can speak it to other Christians, to your brothers and sisters in the faith, so that you might help them move in step with the peculiar wisdom of Jesus. So that you might help others move in step with Jesus' ethic and Jesus' character and Jesus' purposes and Jesus' plans and Jesus' gospel message. Which means what? Not the world at large. That's interesting. Not the world at large. Nope. Why not? Doesn't Doesn't God care about the world at large? Doesn't he want the world at large to know his wisdom? Well, yeah, he does, but they can't receive it. They can't receive it before they receive what? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. If you try to give the world the peculiar wisdom like Paul's about to do on all sorts of topics, including sexual habits, including how to use your money, including you know how to love one another, including how to sue and not sue people in court. I mean, we're going to get into all sorts of strange things. You're like, wow. Like, if you try to tell that to the world before they have the spirit, you're going to get deer in the headlights. In fact, or you might get slapped. (laughs) Or there's all sorts of things that'll happen to you. But what won't happen is they're like, yeah, you're right. I'm going to do that. Unless they have the spirit. That's what Paul's saying. You're to understand these things and teach them to other spiritual people but not yet to the world at large. You say like, what? Dave, this is like backwards to everything you've been telling us for seven years. No, it's not, because this is a full letter. There's some more so that's that we've just been through in the last week. Let's look at them. Turn to chapter 1, verse 23. Chapter 1, verse 23 says this. But, or so, we preach Christ crucified. So that's the first so that. And we talked about that two weeks ago. You go back and listen to it. The big idea is we embrace embarrassment now to preach Christ crucified and resurrected so that people may come to see Jesus for who he is, their Lord and Savior. That's the first so that. But the first so that is don't teach them a new sexual ethic so that they surrender to Jesus. It's teach them who Jesus is is and what he's done for them through the cross and the resurrection. And that's going to be very embarrassing for you to talk about that your Savior 
was hung upon a tree. But you do it because you want them to see Jesus. Because unless they see Jesus and accept who Jesus is, they will not be filled with the Holy Spirit. So they cannot walk in wisdom of old. What's the second so that? Chapter 1, verse 29 says, So that no one may boast in his presence. Whose presence? God's presence. So Ryan talked about this last week. Why do you um, embrace your humble origin, your weakness, that you are a fixer-upper? Why do you embrace that and, and brag about that? It's so that people might know that it had nothing to do with you, that you did not save yourself, but that God saved you. This is to say that they understand how grace works. That grace is not about cleaning yourself up, fixing yourself, remodeling yourself, and then bringing yourself to God and saying, will you buy me now? No, he bought you when you were a wreck, when you're torn up and you had termites and you had shag carpet and you were totally unbuyable. He bought you. And then by his spirit, he remodels. That was Ryan's sermon last week. So that when you stand before the Lord, you don't boast in anything you've done, but you boast in the work of Christ. So you want to, so people need to understand how grace works. Now, when, when they understand who Jesus is and how grace works, then they might receive God's free gift of salvation through Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit so that they and others they're in community with might understand and teach and speak to each other the wisdom of God of how to live and move that matches God's character and ethic and plans and purposes in the world. See that? But you can't skip those steps. And if you do, it's just going to ruin the plan of God. Um, so this is, you know, what's going to come next is advice to Christians, not advice to those who are not yet Christians. And uh, that's okay. That's okay. Let me give you an example. When the pandemic started, and we still have it on our whiteboard, I can go show it to you. Ryan and I sat down. This was like in week one when we thought the pandemic might last like a few months, which is so funny. And we sat down and we're like, okay, when do we start meeting again? And it was so clear to us. And we wrote on our board, we're like, human beings, the people of our church, they're not just physical beings. They're emotional beings, mental beings, spiritual beings. And so as the pastors of this church... We can't just think about their physical well-being. We've had to think about their emotional well-being, their mental well-being, their spiritual well-being. So we have this on our board. And we're like, we have to think through when to meet again, how to meet, what to do, based on that. If I had showed that plan or tried to explain that to other people that did not have the Spirit of God, they would have looked at me sideways and been like, you're a terrible person, how could you even consider that? Right? And I don't blame them for that. But I clearly have a wis- like wisdom that's beyond me. It's easy to see it now, right? It's easy to see that what we were putting on the whiteboard was wisdom that wasn't from us. When we look at what, where we're at with the mental health in this world, the emotional health in this world, the social health of this world, it's not good. How do I have access to that? Through the Spirit. So I can't blame people that don't see it the same way as me, 
but I do have a responsibility to try to act out that wisdom in the world as the leader of this church. See that? And we did the best that we could. We weren't perfect, but we did the best that we could to provide as soon as possible spaces and places for the people of God as holistic beings to find life and health. And at times it worked. But the world's still broken. But anyhow, like the wisdom of the Christian is not the same as the world. And just understanding it's not helps you get by. So that's the first thing. Like the so that. We might help each other, guide each other towards like life, holistic life, living in step with Jesus, and, and living glory-filled lives. The second reason I think Paul tells us this is he wants us to learn to have grace for others. Those who are not yet Christians, like I just said. So when you understand your chosenness, that God has chosen you, your holiness, which is to say your set-apartness, to say your Holy Spirit-filledness, when you understand that, then you will understand the limited nature of wisdom for those who don't have the Holy Spirit. This should make you have grace for your fellow human beings in this world. So when issues, and they look at you, wait, why are you going back to church? Why would you take that risk? Just understand they have no access to what happens at church. They think that it's just people getting together to high-five and get free coffee. They don't get it. They don't know what happens here. Have grace for them. Don't be mad. Don't get frustrated. Pray for them. Pray that they too would have access to the Spirit of God and therefore the wisdom of God. You see this? Now one of the things we have as those who have the Spirit of God is the wisdom of 1 Corinthians 15. And we've said the whole book of 1 Corinthians is, is moving towards 1 Corinthians 15, which is all about what? The resurrection of the dead. Now imagine if you're making decisions about the pandemic when you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. You think that's going to change how you think about taking a risk like coming to church? Of course it will. If you don't think that there's life after this life. So when you have that wisdom, you understand we're, we're not all making the same decisions in the same way. And it gives you grace for other people. Now if you're not yet a Christian watching online or here, this is what I would tell you. Also, don't get frustrated with Christians. Understand there's a difference in access you have to information. And if you feel like you've seen in the lives of Christians a type of peace, a type of joy that, that you're curious about and you wonder where they get it, I would, I would say this. You don't start with the, you don't start with the how to live your life as a Christian. You start as who to follow. You start with Jesus. You start with that first so that. You look for, for that truth, to see Jesus for who he is, before you start asking the wisdom on all these other things. So you're connecting the dots now? So like the first thing you tell somebody who you might have a different sexual ethic then is not, you need to change your sexual ethic. You say, I would like to introduce you to Jesus. Maybe he will show you something that you can't see now. If, if, you, if you make different decisions about anything in your life, you don't start with, you need to do that different. You say, let me introduce you to Jesus. And then you can ask him if there's anything different about what, the way to do marriage or parenting or working or whatever. You see what I'm saying? We get this backwards. And it leads to a lot of 
non-grace for people who God has grace for. Which brings me to my third reason why Paul tells us this extra information. Paul tells us this because he wants us to have joy in the struggle. Joy in the struggle. So, like I said, when you come and you bring your wisdom to somebody and they totally disagree with you or they can't get it at all, lots of times you get frustrated, right? And you're just so mad. How can you not get this? Why, why are you so dense? Can't, why can't you see that? That's sometimes how I've been in my life. But God actually says, no, 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 no. Don't lead with your frustration. Lead with joy. Because when you share something that clearly the Lord has revealed through his scripture, through his spirit, and you get something that other people don't get, it should remind you of this text. You have the mind of Christ. What? So even when somebody's like, don't get you at all, good luck with that, hope this church thing works out, don't get mad at them and say, oh, that's you living in the flesh, wanting everybody to agree with you. Instead say, clearly, I have access to the mind of Christ, and what a privilege, what a joy, right? We should be people of joy. You have the mind of Christ, Paul says. So don't get caught up in the weeds of frustration, trying to make sure everybody understands everything about what and how you live your life. Thank God that he's given you insight that you didn't have before you followed Jesus. So that joy, that joy. And that joy, if you lean into the joy rather than the spite, rather than the spite, when you lean into the joy, you might actually just make good decisions, even if everybody doesn't understand. I remember we decided summer of 2020, it was hard decision. We said, we're, we have access to this parking lot, so we're going to meet in the parking lot. And we know that ev- not everybody that walks by is going to give us the benefit of the doubt. Some people are going to walk by and say terrible things about us and Christians and Jesus. And we had to just own that. But then there was a, a, a man who walked by who never would have walked into our church. He walked through our parking lot day in and day out to get to, to get to, to the street. His name's Stephen Hando. And one day, we're worshiping in the parking lot, and he's walking through to get his food, and he decides to stop. And he sits and he listens. And he says, the first sermon I've ever heard that wasn't on Christmas or at a wedding. Or, and it was a sermon about the four Greek words for love. And he had tattooed on his wrist, eros, one of the Greek words. And we started a relationship. And he was about as far from God as, as anybody could be. And I've got to tell you, I've talked to him at least once a month since summer 2020. And now, in 2022, he's just completed reading out loud. He's, a, he's, a, he's an actor by trade. He was a street performing in Wallingford. If I, you, you may have met him. He's living in Canada now. Uh, we still meet via Zoom. But as of today, he has recorded himself reading the entire New Testament. And he's proudly proclaiming that he's a Christian online. And he's saying, this is wisdom, my friends. <laughs> this is wisdom. And it's incredible. And I, don't, I didn't know that. When we were praying over the God, give us wisdom, when should we meet? Is this safe to meet? Now, I'm not saying those who did not do that are doing something wrong. But for us, we didn't know about Stephen. God did. God drew Stephen there that day for that particular message to start a relationship with Stephen. And he invited us to get to be a part of that relationship. And now Stephen knows Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. 
It's the peculiar wisdom of God. And when we lean into it, not out of spite, not out of frustration, but out of joy, we might actually just make some good decisions that lead to God's plans and purposes coming to fruition like they did in Stephen's life. (laughs) And when we do all of these things, God is honored. He's honored because we know it's not our wisdom, but his. That he has given it to us. No matter if this church goes another seven years, or ends next year, there will be no regret that I have for following the wisdom of the Spirit of God in starting Sedaris Church. And if you talk to any Christian who's walking by the Spirit, moving in step, trying at least to move in step with the peculiar wisdom of God, no matter how their life turns out, they're never going to say, I regret doing that. They'll never say it. Because it's beautiful, and it's good, and it honors God. And he has plans that we still don't know fully. And so we trust him, and we walk by faith, seeking the peculiar wisdom of Christ. Let's do it for another seven. Let's pray.